From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the spotlight turned on us, epidemiology of medical treatment for glaucoma and ocular hypertension. The prevalence of treatment for glaucoma has risen over time, over the study period. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Owen declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing, and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I've put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Think about how profoundly our understanding of glaucoma has changed since 1994. The central role of prostaglandins, the ocular hypertension treatment study, scanning laser tomography, the fall from prominence of the idea of an absolute normal or an absolute high intraocular pressure. In fact, many glaucoma specialists exclude intraocular pressure from their definition of glaucoma entirely. But even as our knowledge has grown, a nagging but rarely discussed doubt remains. How many of these new findings, how much of these new diagnostics and therapeutics filter down to ophthalmologists at large? Indeed, the dissemination of ophthalmic information is the core mission of As Seen From Here, and that's why I'm especially happy to welcome Chris Owen as my guest today. Dr. Owen has just published results of an epidemiologic study of medical treatment for glaucoma and ocular hypertension in the United Kingdom from 1994 to 2003. One of the differences between the British healthcare system and the American one is your access to patient data. What is the D-I-N-L-I-N-K database? Okay, we, well, we call it the DINLINK database. And this database is an ongoing, anonymized, computerized database from over about 300 GPs throughout the UK. It's got data on about 3 million individuals since the inception of the database in 1989. And Chris, it's a government database? No, it's done from general practices throughout the UK, which is basically we have general practitioners here who are responsible for primary care, and they are funded by the government, the NHS, National Health Service. So the physicians are obligated to enter data into this database? Yeah, what happens is is that um, someone will get referred for suspect glaucoma, and the diagnosis will be made in secondary care at RI hospitals. And then the continuing use of medication is then done in primary care by the general practitioners. I see. So what has this DINLINK database been used for previously? We've used it for a number of applications. In adults, we've used it to look at compliance and treatment, prevalence of treatment for the use of statins. Also to look at the prevalence and management of uh, type 2 diabetes. And also to look at the treatment of atrial fibrillation. In children, we've examined the usage of hay fever medications 
and also to look at a number of other mainstream childhood conditions and the treatment thereof. Do you know whether there's some incentive for the physicians to be accurate with their coding on this database? Yes. I, I mean, I was going to come on to this, but I mean, essentially, the uh, medications that are prescribed are very accurately recorded because a patient may come into the general practice need a repetition of the prescription and it's all computerized. How the information from the secondary diagnosis, which may, is made in, in the hospitals, gets recorded is less routine. Is socioeconomic status derived directly from DINLINK? Yeah, the DINLINK database has an indicator of socioeconomic status. We, well, we've actually got two, and they're based on the 10-yearly census that we have in this country. And the last one was done in 2001, so it's quite up to date. And what they have is a number of questions on a variety of variables, uh, approximately 80 in total, and then an area deprivation code is given. And then basically the social economic status is based on that at a residential level. Meaning that you can tell whether someone comes from a neighborhood that's well off or a neighborhood that's not? That's right, yeah. We have something called a postcode. I think you have a zip code there, and it's a postcode indicator of deprivation. Can I have you describe the design of the study? Well, this this study uh, used the DINLINK database to examine the trends in prevalence of treatment for glaucoma and ocular hypertension over time, also to look at the trends in treatment by age, gender, social economic status, as we discussed, and also region throughout the country. And we also use the database to examine the changes in the drugs over time from the study period 1994 to 2003. So it's a type of cross-sectional study looking at period prevalence. How are ocular hypertension and glaucoma defined for the purpose of this study? Patients with primary open angle glaucoma or ocular hypertension were identified based purely on treatment. As I indicated earlier, unfortunately, it's not possible to make the diagnosis based on the recording of secondary care diagnosis in primary care, but the recording of medications is very accurately done. So it's purely based on treatment. So it's not that these are patients who have been diagnosed with ocular hypertension or glaucoma. It's that you're you're going by who has been treated and who has not been treated. That's absolutely correct. We did look at the treatment codes, but most were just simply given a diagnosis of glaucoma and that was it. Some more some were given a diagnosis of open angle glaucoma, but few were given a diagnosis of ocular hypertension. Can you tell me about the demographics of the study population? Yeah, sure. The demographics of the population, they were all aged over well 40 years or more and looking at population data, they're very much representative of the UK. We have another database which is based on general practice a computerized database is called the General Practice Research Database, which is possibly larger, and the two are very comparable. So essentially, they are representative of the population as a whole of that age. What parameters, what variables were investigated? Yeah, we looked at the effects of age, gender, chronological year, in fact, geographical regions throughout the UK, and also the markers of social economic status that we used, and a num- the number of consultations that the patient had per year which we called the propensity to consult. What was the time frame of the study that you investigated? I, I know that you mentioned it briefly before. Yeah, we looked from 1994 to 2003, looking at data from 131 general practices with about half a million patients registered annually. What were your results, Chris? Well, the main, the main results were that the prevalence of treatment for glaucoma has risen over time, over the study period. Uh, by 
approximately 40% in both the males and the females. We found that the males were more likely to be, to be treated than the females. Older patients were more likely to be treated than younger pa patients. Those from less privileged circumstances were less likely be, to be treated than those from more privileged circumstances. And we also looked at the prevalence of certain treatments over time, and we found a decline in the use of topical beta blockers and a rise in topical prostaglandins and also a rise in newer combination therapies. So just to clarify this point, it, it would not be possible to distinguish whether the prevalence of the pathology varies by postal code. You're, you're looking specifically at the prevalence of treatment. Yeah, I, I think it, we can't distinguish between the prevalence of treatment for glaucoma, as in true glaucoma, or a type of glaucoma, or ocular hypertension, because that information was not routinely recorded. All we're looking at is the trends in prescribing of treatment for glaucoma or ocular hypertension. Was the rise in the prevalence of glaucoma over the time period that you studied commensurate with the findings of other researchers? Yes, I mean, it appears so. Studies of computerized databases have shown similar figures to ourselves. And indeed, the prevalences by age group appeared similar to population-based studies that have looked at the prevalence of a disease within a given population. It remains uncertain whether the prevalence refers to the same people, i.e. are those being treated the same as those that are in a population with disease. And although these two figures seem similar, those being treated for glaucoma will include those with glaucoma per se, but also those with ocular hypertension, which may not go on to develop glaucoma. And obviously the, the two may very well be different. I think the fact that we've got similar prevalences could very well be coincidental in that they're describing slightly different populations. What changes did you observe in the prescribing patterns? Yeah, we, we found a decline in the use of topical bleater blockers uh, over time and the emergence of topical prostaglandins being used. We also found a decline in the use of carbonic anhydrase inhibitors and usage of some of the sympathomimetics, alpha antagonists. I can understand the displacement of beta blockers by prostaglandins, but to what do you ascribe the decline you observed in relatively new agents like CAIs and alpha-2 agonists? Yeah, the decline in the use of carbonic anhydrase inhibitors may reflect the decline in the use of systemic preparations in favor of the topical ones. The reason for the decline in the alpha agonist remains unclear. The, the decline in the older sympathomimetics may be due to their nonspecific alpha agonist action and their potential side effects, cardiac side effects, and the replacement with newer ones that have more specific action. I see. Now, how did socioeconomic factors affect the prevalence of treatment? Yeah. To examine the effect of social economic status, we used two indicators of socioeconomic privilege. The first was the a classification of residential neighborhoods, and the second was the index of multiple deprivation. Both of those are based on the 10 yearly census that's done, the last one, 2001. And we found that those from less privileged circumstances were less likely to be treated than those from more privileged circumstances. Whether this reflects a genuine difference in the prevalence of glaucoma by socioeconomic position or whether it simply reflects an inequality in 
treatment or diagnosis remains unclear. Now, on that point, is there any reason to believe that the pathology would be less common in underprivileged areas? Yeah, I mean, a, a cross-sectional study that I'm aware of that looked at this issue reasonably recently found that those from less privileged circumstances were likely to present with more advanced glaucoma. Whether it's due to a difference in the condition type, you get more aggressive types in those in less privileged circumstances than more privileged is uncertain, or whether it's just simply an inequality in treatment and those in less privileged circumstances are presenting at a later stage. It's a difficult question to answer. Right. Uh, but I, I can't picture any physiologic reason that uh, glaucoma might be less prevalent in an underprivileged area. No, but there could potentially be differences in health behavior with social economic status in that those maybe from less privileged circumstances, don't eat so well, uh, more likely to smoke, and other risk factors for the disease, which could underpin the difference in prevalence that you see. Right. Well, we're talking about other factors. Uh, are there any other factors other than socioeconomic status that correlated with the prevalence of treatment? Yeah, we found that current smokers were less likely to be treated than those who were non-smokers or were ex-smokers. And this fits with other findings where smokers are less likely to have treatment by statins and less likely to pursue treatments for hypertension. Again, whether this reflects a difference in prevalence by disease between those that smoke and don't smoke or differences in health behavior or uptake of health services remains again unclear. Now, when we talk about treatment prevalence, are we talking about only glaucoma patients or ocular hypertensive patients too? Yeah, we're talking about both here in that we have made the diagnosis of glaucoma and ocular hypertension based on treatment. So we can't distinguish between those that are receiving it for primary open angle glaucoma and those that are re receiving it for ocular hypertension. Is there any reason to believe that the inclusion of ocular hypertensives would bias your results? Again, this is a difficult question to answer. If we assume that all those with ocular hypertension are at considerable greater risk of developing glaucoma, then no. However, some of those treated for ocular hypertension may not go on to develop disease. And if this being the case, this would dilute any apparent effect. Unfortunately, without any data from the individuals or individually examining the patients, it's difficult to answer the magnitude of this problem. To belabor this point a little bit more, there, there, there are two things that could be going on here. One of them is uh, certainly that uh, patients in uh, – that, that there's a, a lower prevalence of treatment of pathology in patients from uh, poor socioeconomic areas. The um, other one, uh, or coexisting one, could be that physicians in uh, wealthier areas are more likely to treat ocular hypertensives or, or are more likely to treat lower risk ocular hypertensives than physicians in poorer areas. This is not something that you'd be able to tease out from your data. No, unfortunately not. And, and I mean, until you do individual examination of these patients and know the type of treatments that they had on a large scale, you wouldn't be able to answer those questions. You mentioned earlier uh, gender differences in the prevalence of treatment. How do you account for these? Yeah, we found that the prevalence of treatment was higher in males than females, even after adjustment for age. And this could represent a number of things. 
it could represent that the underlying presence of disease is higher in the males than the females. This agrees with a systematic review of population studies that we have done, uh, which is impressed with IOVS, which should come out shortly. It may also represent differences in uptake and diagnosis of glaucoma and glaucoma treatment, uh, in that males may be more likely to receive treatment and diagnosis for glaucoma than females, which would therefore be an inequality in treatment. In obtaining your socioeconomic uh, status data, uh, one subpopulation was described as, as hard-pressed. Were, were, were these patients who described themselves as, as being hard-pressed? Yeah, hard-pressed is one of the categories that are used in the socioeconomic indicators. So that's a description that you base upon the neighborhood in which the patient lives, or that's a description that the patient gives of himself? Yeah, both these social economic indicators that have been used in this study are based at residential level. So it's referring to the area in which they live and not to the individual themselves. I may sound naive, but why should glaucoma treatment be less prevalent in the subpopulation that is hard-pressed? Is it exclusively a matter of not being able to afford the medication? That shouldn't be the case here in that the cost of prescriptions are covered by the government. There is a prescription charge, but one would hope that that's at a level that can be afforded by both those in more privileged and less privileged circumstances. It may still be the case that there may be individuals who cannot afford even the prescription charge, but in this case, there is usually totally free medications for these individuals. So in your data, if treatment is less prevalent, it reflects the fact that uh, there are fewer recommendations from physicians for treatment. Yeah, um, it may just simply reflect that they're less likely to seek medical treatment, so to initiate a contact with health services. Why do you think treatment prevalence is lower in smokers? Um, Yeah, I mean, this fits with uh, a number of other conditions that we've looked at in smokers in that smokers are less likely to seek treatment for uh, statins, for hypertensive therapy, and it may just fit a pattern of health behavior in that, like those potentially in lower social economic circumstances are less likely to seek treatment, so are those that smoke less likely to seek treatment. Uh, It's difficult to say. You make note of the fact that coincident with the introduction of new medications, particularly prostaglandins, that glaucoma surgery has dropped off. Do we know if this is exclusively because of the effectiveness of these medications, or is it in part due to our more nuanced understanding of glaucoma and perhaps recommending glaucoma surgery less often? Yeah, the use of surgery in this study is difficult to use in that it wasn't routinely recorded in primary care. So the surgeries that are done in secondary care in the hospitals is not always routinely recorded by the general practitioners. So we weren't allowed or weren't able to rely on the information that was recorded in terms of the type of surgery that they'd had. I think it was about 1% had received surgery and the the percentage is likely to be higher. In a study that was done in Scotland a couple of years ago, they did look at the effects on surgery and there was a decline with these newer therapies. Whether this reflects that the therapies are working more effectively than the surgery remains unclear. There is still work to be done in terms of trials, experimental studies, randomizing people to surgery and the newer 
glaucoma therapies, i.e. topical medications, to see if one is more effective than the other. Chris, do you have any advice for clinicians? I think in terms of understanding the etiology of glaucoma, we must continue to look at the risk factors for glaucoma in, the, in, a, in a number of ways using these databases which allow us to look at differences in treatment and seeing whether these are due to underlying prevalence of disease or whether this is due to perhaps inequalities in treatment, i.e. the treatment that we're giving is not getting to the right people. But we must continue to look at these risk factors for glaucoma in order to get a better understanding of the condition that we're treating. Chris Owen, thank you very much. Pleasure. Christopher Owen is Senior Lecturer in Epidemiology at St. George's University of London in London, the United Kingdom. His paper, The Epidemiology of Medical Treatment for Glaucoma and Ocular Hypertension in the United Kingdom, 1994 to 2003, appears in the July 2006 issue of the British Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask question of Dr. Owen or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the New Media Project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.